The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Uh, with me now, though, on the soapbox is uh, Sheikh Dr. Umar Al Qadri, the uh, founder and chair of the Irish Muslim Council. Uh, it is good to see you again. Thank you very much, Goramagat, for having me. Um, so I, I know there's a lot to talk about, but I'm fascinated by um, one individual you want to mention, Mir Olad Ali. Am I pronouncing his name yes, correctly? Yes. So who was he? So interestingly, uh, Professor Mir Olad Ali was a very prominent Irish Muslim who was a professor of Arabic and um, Eastern Studies in Trinity College, Dublin. And he was appointed in 1855. So more than 100 you know, years later, 150 years la- uh, before, we have had a very prominent Irish Muslim figure here living in Dublin. This is really amazing. And what really amazed me as well was that he was a key figure in the uh, Society of Preservation of the Irish Language. So he was very passionate about Gwilga. He was passionate about uh, protecting and ensuring the, 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 the Irish language and the Irish heritage. And where was he from originally? Uh, he was originally from where I'm from, <laughs> subcontinent India. Yeah. Indian I mean, subcontinent. I, I, I imagine whatever about uh, the kind of the, the cultural differences between the Indian subcontinent and Ireland today, it, it was certainly more pronounced in the late 19th century. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, yes. Um, and to find himself kind of uh, involved in the preservation of the Irish language, it, I guess it's a... It's a legacy that's not often acknowledged, maybe. Is that fair? Uh, we think yes, of it as it, our it own is. kind of homegrown thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is. And, and the reason for that is because, um, you know, it was only recent, a couple of years ago, when uh, some um, uh, professors and academics from Trinity College Dublin actually, uh, you know, found out in the archives about this great, you know, individual, Professor Mirola Ali. And this is when uh, I came uh, to know about him as well. And he is kind of, I guess, the doorway into some of the conversation we're going to have today, which is about the the positive contribution that migrants have made to Irish society and can continue to make. Is that fair? Uh, absolutely. Well, migrants have definitely contributed positively. Uh, I mean, the Irish Muslim community, most of the Muslim community that came to Dublin, to Ireland in particular, were doctors, were medical professionals. They, some of them, you know, they studied first and then they started practicing medicine. And this is why also in 2003, when I moved to Dublin uh, from the Netherlands, often people, Irish people, when they addressed me, would, they would say doctor assuming I'm a medical doctor uh, because, you know, I'm South Asian, I, lo- I look uh, South Asian. And um, so they thought I'm a doctor. And I think that really tells you, even if you go to any hospital in Ireland, you will see uh, doctors from the Muslim faith of, uh, you know, the Pakistani or other Asian backgrounds. Uh, so migrants have contributed, absolutely. But at the same time, I must say the landscape has changed. You know, I mean, 2003, when I moved to Ireland, migration uh, it was was very small, relatively mm. small compared to 2024. I mean, today's poll to- tells us that in Irish times that the major concern people have is regarding immigration. Now, it doesn't mean that people are saying that they don't like people of colour. I mean, look, Ireland is a country of Cade Milafolch and it still is. I think what the poll tells us is that people are saying that, you know, we have a housing crisis. We have lack of resources. And our government has showed determination, willingness to uh, bring in refugees, accommodate refugees, Mm. whether these are Ukrainian or others, but they haven't shown the same determination and the same willingness to address the lack of housing, affordable housing for the indigenous people. I mean, if Irish youngsters have to move abroad because there is a lack of affordable housing, they have to go to Australia for a few years, they have to go to Middle East so they can actually 
get the 20% deposit that they need to get on the property ladder. Mm. I think that's really shameful. And that's what people are really kind of, you know, I think expressing through this poll. So you can understand the anger or the frustration from people? Well, first of all, it's important to uh, differentiate between there are people out there that have really serious concern. They have genuine concern about the lack of housing and the healthcare crisis we're all facing. And these are issues that we all are being affected. I mean, look, mm. I'm affected. People of my community are affected. Uh, and then there are people and there are very few, very, very few individuals only that are genuinely, you know, racist. They just don't like people of color. They don't like Muslims. But to paint everybody that is protesting, everybody that is saying immigration is something that I'm concerned about and saying that they all are racist is absolutely wrong and we shouldn't do that. And I think we should actually listen to people that people are concerned about the lack of housing and then so many people arriving in Ireland, you know, in a short span of time. Mm. So that's something that really calls for sustainable immigration. It calls for more communication, transparency in terms of migration. And I think that is lacking from the government uh, and, and people are... You know, people, they, they feel that they aren't listened to. And I yeah. can completely understand that. At the same time, are they directing their anger in the right direction? You know, when people are kind of screaming into the faces of children on their way into a hotel in Ross Grey and their, their gripe is about government housing policy failures... You know, what one might suggest that, no, no, you're that absolutely they, they right. the wrong scapegoat. Yeah, as I said, that there are, we have to differentiate between, uh, you know, among them. We have to make sure that we do not paint everybody with the same brush. There are people out there that have genuine concern in terms of the lack of services, the yeah. lack of, you know, GPs, the lack of teachers in schools, the lack of places placement in schools and the lack of affordable housing. And there are people out there that actually just are racist. So those people that were screaming, in the faces of the children, the poor children. Obviously, we know that, you know, what their background is. We know what their motive is. It's very clear. But to use that and to say it means anybody protesting is racist or xenophobic, that is a very wrong approach. Uh, and I think we need to understand that uh, as, a, as a nation, we really need to talk about sustainable immigration. We need to talk about the government's, uh, you know, unwillingness to address this issue of housing, healthcare, uh, or you could say, as I said earlier, that the government hasn't shown the same willingness to address housing crisis, address the healthcare crisis, as they have shown, for example, the willingness to purchase hotels, the willingness to suddenly change planning laws, you know, expedite planning laws. Mm. So, so where is the willingness for the indigenous people? And if the government isn't going to actually show willingness, this, who's going to suffer? I think the whole nation will suffer, but ultimately migrants will suffer the most. You know, people like myself will suffer the most because we're going to be painted with the same brush. Uh, and, and a lot of people that have genuine concerns, unfortunately, will be pushed towards racism, pushed towards xenophobia. Yeah, because y y you mentioned communication earlier as well and the importance of it. And uh, one thing that I've noticed or that's featured in these discussions are that some of those people who do have genuine concerns and, and, and really, you know, they just, they feel that their communities have been completely forgotten about, you know, that there's no local employment, that there's been a kind of a drain and, uh, uh, in their part of the country and, you know, young people see no future, they have to move away, all of those type of things. You don't have to talk to them for long and not all of them, but some of them before 
some stuff starts to come up in the conversation that that falls less in the genuine concern category and more in the kind of racist trope category. And it's like, you know, and, and you know, we're not racist because we love all these Brazilians who work in the meat factory down the road. It's all these migrants who come here and don't work. That's the problem we have. And, you, you know, you, again, and I suspect that they're repeating them because they hear them and they hear them from people who are who are actively kind of sowing that disinformation. Is that is that the danger that without the communication is that those people who do have a genuine concern yeah. that they suddenly start to kind of, as I said, the big believe danger, other things that are not true. The biggest danger of not having open communication, not having open dialogue and discussions on this sensitive topic is that people that have genuine concern will be pushed towards racism. They will be pushed towards the racist and xenophobic rhetoric. And this is exactly what has happened, because if you go online on Twitter, for example, there are so many accounts, uh, you know, by people that do not, uh, you know, express their real identity. They hide their identity, the anonymous accounts. And the whole, uh, you know, their whole timeline is filled with anti-migrant rhetoric, uh, anti-Muslim rhetoric. And it seems that actually their whole reason for being online, mm. the presence is just to, uh, you know, divisive rhetoric, just to spread and incite people, uh, you know, incite hatred, incite division. And it's these kind of people that radicalize uh, and those that have genuine concern. If they're not listened, if nobody listens to them, it's very easy for them to fall into the trap of radicalization. This problem of kind of painting people with with um, the same brush, you know, large groups of people with the same brush, like to an extent, this is a new problem in Ireland because we haven't had a long history of inward migration, only in kind of mm-hmm. in our generation has, has it become a feature of life. And um, at the same time, I'm sure maybe the Muslim community more than others will have an understanding for kind of kind of sudden periods of suspicion or yes, aspersions course, being, being kind of thrown on, on the entire community in the wake of 9-11, in the wake of other maybe high profile attacks in yeah, France, yeah. you know, Donald Trump talking about banning kind of Muslims yes. from entering the United yes. States. Oh, we, we, you guys we have been through this. We, we have gone through that. And uh, it's, it's not an ideal, of course, situation to be because that just means that you as a community are, you know, seeing as a, you're suspicious and you need to do really more efforts into giving assurance to people that, you know, that there is nothing to be concerned about. You just like them, you're just a member of a faith community. And in fact, the vast majority of the faith community, the two billion people in the world do not understand their faith in a very extremist, radical way, as some very small number of people, the extremists and the terrorists do. And I have said this previously on many occasions that every community, whether it's a faith community, whether it, even if it's a political or a national community, will have have certain uh, extremists in the community. Mm. The vast majority is usually always peaceful. The minority is the most vocal. And this is what we see now as well in terms of racism and xenophobia, that the loud voices, you know, in, against against, uh, you know, migrants that say we shouldn't allow migrants at all in the country or we should stop any, you know, refugees coming. These are very, you know, there are a few people saying that. Most people aren't saying that. Most people are saying we have a housing crisis. Why aren't we addressing it? We have, you know, a lack of doctors. There is, you know, there is so much waiting lists. Uh, there are surgeries being cancelled on the, on the day of the surgery. Uh, you receive a phone call on the day. Oh, sorry, your surgery is cancelled. This is not acceptable in a first world country. I mean, our Taoiseach said recently, Ireland is one of the wealthiest countries. Mm. Well, it, it is, you know, but is that wealth really reflected into the, uh, the, 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 the way of life or the living standards that we have? It really isn't. 
because so many people aren't able to uh, go on the get on the property ladder. Yeah. I mean, renting a place in County Dublin is extremely difficult. I mean, I remember myself and I'm a chief imam, right? So I know thousands of people. And even when when uh, four or five years ago, and this was really before this, uh, you know, the, 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 the influx of the uh, refugees from Ukraine, etc. Even then, it was so difficult for me to find uh, a place to rent and to purchase a house, to get on the property ladder is extremely difficult. So when a person like myself has to, de- has to face these challenges, what about young people? Of course, yeah. young people are going to face them. Uh, can I ask kind of an unusual question? Why sure. do we, and I'm talking about we, people in Ireland and people in other kind of Western European countries, why do we define immigrants who are from Muslim backgrounds by their faith? You know, we talk about Muslim immigrants or maybe Jewish immigrants would fall into the same category. We don't talk about uh, Eastern Orthodox immigrants. Well, we just talk good, about people by nationality. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, I wish people realised that Muslim immigrants aren't immigrants from South Asia uh, or from Arab countries per se. The Muslim faith community is two billion I mean, strong. It means people from different nationalities mm. are Muslim. Uh, so you could actually be, you know, you could be meeting somebody on the road, in the taxi, in the hospital, uh, at work, that is a Muslim. And you wouldn't even realize, you wouldn't even notice. Not all Muslim women wear the hijab, for example. Yeah. There are Muslim women that choose to wear the hijab, Muslim women that choose not to wear the hijab. Uh, they're still Muslim and you wouldn't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like it's only those two communities I can think of. Some of the chats will text in maybe with other examples, but everybody else, we just identify them by, by nationality, yeah. primarily, maybe the continent they're from. Um, you know, people from Africa often get lumped all in together without any acknowledgement of the fact that there's God knows how many 50 odd countries uh, on the continent. Right. But uh, Muslims as well. Yeah, it's just Muslim immigrants mm-hmm. um, uh, as a whole. Well, listen, it's been really interesting to talk to you. Can I read a text? Sure. That guest is the best you've had on in a long time. Very fair in what he is saying. So well, either, you. either you're a great guest or we've had terrible guests on for a long time. That's one or the other. I, I'm sure it's the former. Uh, Sheikh Dr. Umar Al-Khadri, the founder and chair of the Irish Muslim Council. Thanks a million for joining us you're here very welcome. on Thank the you show. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy. With Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.